This is Janelle Wood, and you are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast. Hey friend, before we dive into today's episode, real quick, I wanted to take a moment and thank you for listening in. I also want to apologize for the dog barking in the background. You will hear that um, a couple of times in this episode, and I apologize for that. But as of today, I wanted to share that we are over two-thirds of the way to reaching our fundraising goals for the upcoming season of Finding Something Real. We are excited to share this podcast with more young people. So if you are a regular listener of this podcast and you are able, I would love for you to know more about why we're trying to gather some funds for season seven, and I'd love for you to check that out. So please go over to findingsomethingreal.com and click on donate. And while you're over there, get the free resource that's available. Also, I wanted to take a moment and thank today's guest for sharing her story and addressing some big questions from my co-host, Nora. Nora, thank you for asking your big questions, as well as speaking in general about the integration of faith, wellness, and spirituality. This was a fascinating conversation, and Dr. Ioana um, Popa brings a unique and very thoughtful perspective. Ioana and I have a lot in common, and I also think we have some theological differences, but I really appreciate what she shares here, especially as it relates to the power of focus and gratitude. Also, and importantly, Ioana wanted to make sure that we had a disclaimer for this episode, so please note that all information provided in this conversation is strictly for educational purposes and does not represent medical advice, nor form a physician, patient, or coach-consultant-client relationship. All information provided is as is and is used at your own risk. Okay, friend, that's it for now. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Well, welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And friend, you are listening in for season six, where we start off each month with a different young woman sharing her story and allowing her the space to ask some tough questions about God and Christianity. This month, our content is being curated by a very special co-host, Nora from Sweden. And Nora, unfortunately, she couldn't be here today. But Nora, when you listen to this, I just want you to know how much you're loved. And thank you so much for sharing your questions. Uh, One of the questions that you talked about was, how do things like mental health disorders, anxiety, or depression fit inside the Christian worldview? What can we do when we feel hopeless? And how should Christians go about the process of coping with and or healing from mental health disorders? Here to talk about that today is our special guest. As a Christian spiritual formation life coach and trainer, Dr. Ioana Popa coaches professional Christian women to regenerate on the go, move from burnout to joy, from grief to hope, and to grow psychologically and spiritually in Christ so that they can use and multiply all their God-given gifts to impact the world for the glory of God. And she does that through online courses, one-on-one coaching, and her unique community program for Christian women. She is trained as a physician, psychiatrist, therapist, educator, nationally board-certified life coach, spiritual care provider, and theologian, and brings a unique, holistic, and integrated perspective of science, psychology, spiritual care, and Christian faith. Her parish is St. Mary, I cannot pronounce this word, (laughs) Antiochian. Orthodox Church in Cambridge, Massachusetts. On a personal note, Dr. Ioana loves to spend time with her husband and their four children. I have four children too. Family and friends, and to read, garden, pray, exercise, and practice contemplation. You can find her on YouTube, her website, and Facebook. Search for Team for the Soul, Dr. Ioana Popa. That's Ioana, I-O, 
A-N-A, Popa, P-O-P-A. Ioana, welcome. Thank you so much, Janelle, for your warm welcome and for being here. I listened to um, some of your work online, and I was just really touched by your work that you're doing. And I'm like, oh, I've just discovered a new friend. So, so great. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you're here. Before we dive in, I know I mentioned a couple places people can find you, but one of the things that you mentioned in our email exchange is that you might have a free resource. Is that something people can find on your website? Yes, I have a couple of free resources on the website. Yeah, yeah, I Great. do have a um, course that I offer for free, Seeds of Renewal, just a jumpstart regeneration, body, mind, heart, and soul, think through the pillars of regeneration. And I also have a handout for Christian women. So, yeah. Wonderful. So if you're interested in that, just go over to your website. And what website is it again? Would you remind, I, I'm not sure if I gave the exact website. Yes. Team for the soul. Team for the soul. Dot com. Probably. Oh, we're just helping souls along the way towards the glory of God. That's wonderful. It's probably a little easier to find than searching for your name too, huh? I, I imagine people get lost a little bit. I, I have troubles with my name um, because my name's Janelle, but there's no E at the end. But I always tell people, you know, just look for Janelle Wood. You'll find it eventually. But uh, yeah. Have you found that throughout your life that people misspell your name or mispronounce it or have a hard time all the time? <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. It's a whole thing. Yep. So I, uh, I know that you're a woman of faith. And as I mentioned before we hit record, uh, my assistant, Tara Catherine, um, she spoke very highly of you. She was very excited to invite you on the podcast. And I'd love to hear more of your faith journey, uh, since Tara's more familiar with your work than me. And I have uh, watched some of your YouTube videos and seen some of your things, but I'd love for people to know more about you. Well, my faith journey? Your faith journey. And then you can, I'm drinking my coffee here. Uh, you could also share a little bit about how you ended up in the profession that you're in now. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for great question. So I grew up in Romania. So I spent there my first few decades of life and Romania at the time was communist. So I Romania also by faith tradition is Christian Orthodox. Mm -hmm. So I was baptized Christian Orthodox early on, but I really grew up in a period where um, faith was put down in a very subtle way, you know, kind of sarcastic, you know, um, faith is for the, it's the opium of the masses and science was elevated and in a, such a way that um, you, it was no need to fight the faith. It was just like, eh, this is, this is not something meaningful or something real. So I've considered myself for more than um, for several decades, uh, an atheist and a scientist and just, you know, went to medical school, not by choice necessarily. I mean, I had to choose that somehow when my parents really pu pushed and encouraged me to go into that direction. And I love to learn. So I'm like, okay, science, physics, math, medicine, biology, all sounds exciting. Let's just go <laughs> medical school. But then I had heard a, and I spoke about this in some other interviews. I had this moment where I heard a priest, this is after the communists fell, who, and after the communists fell, 
there was this resurgence of Christianity in Romania, Orthodox Christianity, and there were priests everywhere, blessings, every, the houses, and and it was just like a nausea. I mean, it was just all of a sudden it was so much that we're like, okay, come on, let's let's get real here. It's just like the pendulum swing from one side to the other. But one day I heard this priest on the on a show on TV, and he said, well, if you believe in God, that's great. What all this the fervor that you see now, it's exciting, right? But if you're not, this is kind of really, really skeptical. And I'm like, oh my goodness, finally, someone got it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? This is like, blah, blah, blah. And we said, so his encouragement was, well, just, we don't know if God exists or not, but you can ask authentically. And I said, just, you can go into your room, close the door, and you can just say this, our father who art in heaven, if you are in heaven, I don't believe you are in heaven and my wheels are turning. Yes, exactly. You got it. <laughs> you got my attention. If you are in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom, thy kingdom come. If there is a kingdom, I don't believe there is a kingdom, but if there is a kingdom, thy will be done and so on and so forth. And I'm like, you know what? I can do this. And I, as I was pondering on this, like, this is kind of interesting. And I've discovered, and I found out later that I was not the only one thinking this way, but I had this reality. And I teach this from, for people, especially as they're not knowing, does God exist or not? There's a big difference between beliefs and our ultimate reality, between reality and beliefs. And science is really good at this, right? What is a reality versus, and the facts versus the stories we create, the theories we create about what the reality is. So I'm like, okay, well, if God exists, maybe he exists, maybe he doesn't. If he doesn't exist, and I don't believe in God, okay, who cares? If God doesn't believe, and I believe in God, well, maybe I'll have a good life. You know, I'll find some comfort. It doesn't really matter if God doesn't exist. It doesn't really matter what I believe, right? But the flip side is if God does exist, and if I believe in God, that's great. But if God exists, really, is the ultimate reality, and I don't believe in God, I had this moment like, oh, this might be a problem, <laughs> Right? So I've realized that there's a difference. Many times people talk about faith as just the belief. Well, I believe, I don't believe. Well, listen, if you're a non-believer, here's the good news. You can get a bunch, a million Christians believing that God exists. We're not going to create God. Mm -hmm. Just because we believe in God, it doesn't make God a reality. Mm. God either exists or not. So that made me very curious. I was like, well, okay, so if God really exists, it, so it doesn't matter. It would, almost felt like, well, it's in my advantage to really pursue this further. And I just had this curiosity and openness beyond stories, beyond beliefs. Like, okay, how do I know me, Ioana Popa, on this earth, end of 20th century, begin, you know, how do I really, really know? And I realized I'm, I started to have conversation with God, a God that I didn't know, right? Mm -hmm. And that was the invitation from the priest. And I said, God, I don't know if you exist, 
But if you do, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom God. And I prayed and in my very limited mind at the time, and we all have limited beliefs and stories. We all, you know, move from glory to glory. But back then I thought, well, if God exists, I'm going to ask for three signs <laughs> and we shall see. <laughs> I wanted to see if God really exists. Like, is there a universal consciousness here? And how does it, how does it work? Hmm. And interestingly, within three days, there were some movement in the reality and I cannot call, I could call it signs, but it became all of a sudden very clear. It was not the kind of signs that people look like a miracle. Oh, if God exists, I should have this, this person be healed or, or this appear in my life. It was not that way. It was just some coincidences, so to speak, that all of a sudden I realized there were not coincidences. There was a consciousness that was listening and was there was some shift in my experience that interestingly only myself I could tell. If I could share any of this to anyone else and say, "What are you talking about?" But I knew someone was listening. Mm. And within, and it happened one time, a second time, and the third time I was like expecting now, like, "Oh my goodness, what's going to happen?" So I had this encounter where. All of a sudden, through an experience, I had an encounter with a, um, we would call them now Roma people, but I had that experience and all of a sudden it's like the doors open and I experienced, I had a mystical experience, experience of God, which by the way, I don't think they are reserved just for the few. I believe that God speaks with each and every person all the time. Mm -hmm. So it was just so profound that he brought me to faith and to to God and to Trinity and to so that's mm -hmm. a long story. No, your short answer, your your long answer to your short story. No, I love that. Because... To your short question. <laughs> I love that because in the very beginning, when I started this podcast, I used to quote Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen quite a bit. You know that when you seek me, you'll find me. When you seek me with all your heart, and I love how. You differentiated between, you know, belief versus reality, right? You know, we a lot of us go around with a lot of false beliefs. And if God is real and we ask, hey, I really want to know, I think there's enough uh, scripture to back up the idea that he's going to respond. He's going to invite that, you know, invite that seeking. And um, so, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that story. How did yeah. you become... Oh, go ahead. And curiosity and just openness into really authentic, I do not know, mm -hmm. but I do want to find out. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So how did you go from that to your interest in, I mean, Ioana, when I was looking at all the things uh, that you've been involved in, it's quite a few. And I was even listening to a podcast you were on and the gal that was interviewing you, I think it was an Orthodox uh, podcast or Ancient Faith Radio, they listed all these things. And I thought, how did she have time for all those things? And how did she land on what she's doing now? So I'd love to hear more about, um, yeah, your career and what you're doing and why you're passionate about it. Yeah, so I started as a physician very young because in Romania, medical school, you start right after high school. It's a bit longer. So right at 18, got in medical school, finished, and then did some training in Romania and came to America and did my psychiatry residency. But it was a, 
dissatisfaction, not so much with the the healing and helping people as much as where psychiatry now sometimes is pushed to be just medicine. Now I'm going to paraphrase. I'm going to pause here because I think medications are extremely helpful. I've seen miracles happening when people are getting the right medications with the right type of therapy, with the right type of team. So it's unbelievable. But there, I've always felt, especially here in uh, United States, I cannot speak about practicing psychiatry in other countries because I haven't had a chance to do that. But here, there's a lot of focus for psychiatrists to do mainly medications. I mean, there's lots of reasons for that. But I just felt dissatisfied that that was not my calling. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I switched my vocation because I loved um, teaching I always dreamed to be a teacher and I homeschool my kids for a, uh, for a year and I just absolutely love it. So I was able to switch to teaching at some point and I taught in a high school and middle school and then college. I just absolutely love it. But then I had a dark night of a soul kind of moment. I had a really rough patch in my life that brought that sense of what am I doing on earth? Like, what is this all about and kind of different scales, so to speak, and stories fell off my eyes. And I realized that ultimately I just have one life and I want to really, it, there was a sense of joy. Like what can I discover in this lifetime, right? There's a sense of, um, and I think I must have done this calculation. Okay, how many more years might I live? 50. Multiply that by 365 days and I don't know how many days you get how many thousands I'm like that's not a big number of thousands of days that one has available and I realized that I have to really pursue my calling whatever that is and I didn't have enough clarity what it was but I I and this is how I coach people even their vocation you just go through by approximate by approximations, what's the closest tree, so to speak, that you can see in the forest where you're looking? And so that led me from education. I discover internal family systems, and then I trained that, and that actually brought me back to practicing psychiatry and therapy. Uh, and that led me to more readings. I discovered the one of the roots psychological framework for internal family system is it's the family therapy, but also psychosynthesis. So I've discovered and training that. And I love groups. I love teaching. So I, I did some of that. And then I've discovered um, as well through my husband, my second husband, who's a chaplain, I've discovered spiritual care. So I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to try this. So I love trying things. I love learning um, and I've discovered, and since I was teaching at Holy Cross, I'm saying, I want to learn more about theology and about faith, really going back to Christ, the Eastern theology. So I did the Master in Theological Study. That took several years. Um, it was a little bit intimidating at the beginning. I'm going to be all those with those youngsters, but I figured, you know what? Five, seven, ten years are going to pass by. Why not pass by with with doing something that I love? So it just um, and I've learned to work less, to limit my needs to less. So in other words, not to use everything that I, um, all the finances that I have to live the American dream and have everything from this, this and car. Like I can live with less. That freedom time in order to pursue other things in Christ. So that's kind of in a nutshell. Wow. 
it's amazing. Um, and you, you look quite young, so it's hard to believe you've done all of those things. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. I went to medical school when I was seven, yes. <laughs> just kidding, just Aww. kidding. Well, I wanted to jump <laughs> in with some of that. <laughs> I wanted to jump in with some of Nora's questions because um, I just love her and I love that she's brought up some of these questions about mental health. Um, as somebody who, you know, went to graduate school for counseling psychology and has friends in the mental health field, it is an interesting line between where does medicine and traditional medicine, you know, work and where are the limitations and where is God in the midst of all of that? And one of the things that Nora asked, she said, quote, I wonder a lot about why things happen in regards to suffering. I've struggled with my mental health. I don't know what to believe about the why. Is it that God makes things happen because he has a plan or a purpose? Or is it human's fault or the devil's fault? I don't know. What are your thoughts on that from the scientific and the theological? Like, how do you answer questions that come like that. Mm. And I know you you wanted me to share this and um, we'll put a disclaimer at the front of this episode and in the show notes, but I know you're this can't be official medical advice or anything like that. But um, I just, as a very holistic uh, type person, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah. So hmm, where do I start? There's a lot to unpack, but I'll start more from a faith perspective and theological perspective. I mean, one of the things that I love to study is Christ encounters in the healing and his healing encounters. And what is really interesting is that he was asked, you know, I believe it was the blind man, whose fault is this? Is this his sin? Is it his parents' sin? What's happening here? And he said, it's not his sins or his parents' sins. Whatever is happening is for the glory of God. Now, we don't have more details around that, but I would say from the Eastern um, Christian theology perspective, we don't believe in the original sin. Like God has a plan here and we are like... um, you know, he's like a puppeteer. He's put out, you're going to be saved. You're not going to be saved. And you're going to have this disease and doesn't have any disease. That's not how it works. God loves us unconditionally, but we know that we live in a fallen world. The That theological framework uses the word ancestral sin, meaning there's something that's perpetuated. And in science, this could call it through genes, Another way to think about it is through epigenetics. We know now there is, um, it's not like through generation to generation that the genes are shifted through our environment, but the way we experience life, we can, especially women, because we carry the genes for our children and their, if there are girls, also for their granddaughters inside, it's going to impact our events. It's going to impact the next generations. And we have genes that open and close kind of what's expressed. So it's very intricate. And there's an entire science around that. But my point is that what we do know in mental health professions is that there is this balance between nature and nurture meaning what it's passed on through genes and what is passed on also from generations to generations. Uh, and sometimes we're so conditioned, we don't even know, but it's going to impact on why people, some and, and culture, right? How people, if they get sad or not, or if a disorder 
is expressed like depression or anxiety right so it's um i want to just take away if you're listening and you you know someone or you're experiencing any mental health condition to take the stigma out because this stigma is for centuries people do not know what to do with it and what do people do when they see anything that was scary uh, or totally understand and ununderstandable say oh this is from evil right mm -hmm. i mean think of the epileptics we know now we call it ep epilepsy back then the healing needed to come through christ obviously christ is god he can do that but we know now there's medication that can help with epilepsy for example and what i've seen is that when there's wholeness when the biology and the spiritual life are in sync and in harmony that brings wholeness so I'm I'm going to give one example here to really bring this home about mental illness. It's similarly we forget sometimes the brain it's a part of the body. And it is very sensitive to neurotransmitters to different chemicals to hormones that we're experiencing but it's so difficult to see from within because we're dealing with our thoughts and our emotions and from our inner landscape it seems the same right we don't sense the biology to it we don't sense the, the the actually something is going on in the brain but as i said many times there are a lot of genetic predispositions for that of very genetic factors so i'll give the example with diabetes so for example if i'm going to go and eat 20 donuts and i'm not going to do that do not recommend do that for listen <laughs> eating 20 donuts well let's imagine i'm eating 20 donuts every day for a while my poor body is going to try to adjust to it right and eventually is going to bring dis-ease right there's not going to be a wholeness or ease it's going to be a dis-ease all the way the body's trying to cope is going to going to be broken down so to speak and it's going to start an illness now i might switch and stop the donuts and I might come back to the heart, the level of harmony, but the insulin and the insulin might come back. But in many cases, especially if they're genetics, it's going to kick in really quickly. And then we do, or, or some, we know people that are born genetically, they have diabetes, they need medication right away. So it's really hard to know. So I always encourage my my clients never to think what's the cause is it me is it genes is it the family who do i blame <laughs> just think more almost like a puzzle we want to address each and every element of it to bring harmony to it what can we do from a biological perspective what can we do from a family perspective what can we do from a spiritual perspective and they all work together for the glory of god i was reminded and, I'll, and, and I know you have a question. I was reminded by a theologian who's also a priest who said this, we forget that Christ was not just God, but he was also human. Hmm. And from a theological perspective, we're psychosomatic beings and our body and our soul, they are so intricate and together. Even after death, resurrection comes with a body. So we, we have to really take care of both. And I think this is where I see a lot of, we get stuck and many of the people that I talk with get stuck, including family members, because they only focus faith. I should have prayer. I'm not strong enough when in fact, we just need to uphold both. 
the mm-hmm. spiritual and the biological. So, yeah, I love that. I was talking to someone just yesterday, actually, she was sharing about her loved one who is quite young. He's uh, only 41 and uh, or 40. And he was, I mean, he almost died of sepsis um, not too long ago. And it was really scary. And she was talking about, oh, yeah, it's so hard. And um, I, I care about this person, too. And I said, oh, yeah, stress is a huge, can be a big part of that. She was, oh, it's genetics. You know, he's got these autoimmune issues and different things. And I said, yeah, but stress has a huge, that's something that we can work on and mitigate. You know, that's something that actually uh, has a huge component in triggering an autoimmune flare-up. You know, and I'm not a doctor. The only thing I know is my own personal experience, you know, and the things that my health coach has shared with me in my, uh, you know, 40-something years. But um, how would you advise somebody, somebody like Nora, you listen to her story, um, to holistically approach, you know, moving forward as she's trying to empower uh, herself. You know, the thing that I love about Nora is she hasn't given up, you know, she keeps trying. Um, But what are some tools that would help her? And was that bad advice to give my friend about, hey, stress can be one of those things? Because I, when I hear you share about the holistic piece of it, I think, yeah, the I never, we never think about those things. You know, we think about, oh, I'm, it's this thing or it's that thing or it's this, but it's this whole thing. Um, Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's thoughts and questions. (laughs) Uh, It's always, it's kind of like chicken and the egg. So many times our brain goes into the why. And I think culturally there's this assumption, if I can figure out why I can fix it. You get into this fixing mindset, but many times just knowing the cause, it's not necessarily how this works because sometimes it's very intricate. So I love this model. And actually this became part of the psychiatric model uh, by um, Dr. Engel really framed this in the fifties and was actually at the university where I trained University of Rochester, biopsychosocial model, Always think biologically, psychologically, meaning thoughts, emotions, spiritual life, and socially, and always address on all the levels. So instead of trying to say one or the other, always think of all possibilities. So I would say, going back to your question, definitely, and if you're listening, think about this, there's a reason why God worked through science to have doctors and medications i mean if we remember even the history of science it developed because of christianity in the east in the west i'm sorry because christians were like no god is a god of order and we can test and we can find out so god works in all that so having a health team right doctors therapists if he needs to um, I found that the be- one of the best psychological methodologies to help, there are many, many methodologies, but internal family systems, it's a really helpful one because it, it brings this idea that at the core, we have a true self, which is so amazing how a scientific perspective and methodology, which is not Christian or any faith tradition, will land on the same idea as Christianity, that we have God, the image of God at the core. And at the true self level, we're untouched, we're unharmed. There's 
qualities like compassion and courage and peace, all of that kind of the fruits of the spirit of Christianity, right? So having good medical providers, right? If someone has mental health problems or you know someone, having good medical providers, having good therapy, also having good that when I'm thinking of therapy or it could be a coach, let's say, depending on the situation, I can make the distinction a bit here, but working on mindsets is very, very helpful. Like you said, yes, we can mitigate, right? Not all thoughts. We shouldn't believe all our thoughts and stories that come across our minds. We shouldn't believe what our feelings that we experience, right? They come and they go. So having someone that can guide us genuinely and they can work in synchronicity also with the spiritual um, help. I mean, if you can find someone that does both, the therapy and the same faith, sharing your faith or or whatever tradition you have, that's great. If not having different people in your team, but at least they should synchronize somehow and talk with one another so that it's the best way and involving also family. So this is where I found the most help. Does it, sometimes it takes a while, but what I want to encourage everyone to think about a, a mental health diagnosis, like depression, for example, or anxiety, or someone might have bipolar disorder, or someone might have schizophrenia, whatever the disorder is, there's no stigma. As I said, it's very genetic. There is a, there's a cyclicity to it. In other words, they come and they go. In other words, there's not going to be permanent. Hmm. And this is the good news to remember in the middle of it. I used to tend to tell that to my clients. It's like wearing gray glasses. You know, we're in the middle of it. We see everything gray. And someone say, but you're doing fantastic. And I'm like, no. Have you seen the um, Winnie the Pooh and Eeyore? That kind of yeah. Eeyore thing is like, how is your day? Oh, great. I'm yeah. good. <laughs> kind of like that. Like nothing will touch but all we can remember that this is passing. Hmm. To hold on to that, that this is the illness speaking. It's not necessarily the core. It's not my identity. It's going to pass. It's like I'm wearing gray glasses. And to trust that and, and work with the team, if that makes sense. Hmm. That does make sense. Um, and I, I I can relate to that. Um, so you're wearing the gray glasses you're in a place where you can't see past it. All you can see is the gray. And you mentioned feelings. We live in a Western culture where feelings have a lot of power and they're given a lot of power in our, our culture, you know. Um, as a truth seeker and as a Christian, um, I know that feelings can often be misleading, <laughs> that just because I feel them doesn't mean they're true. How do you do with feelings and truth when it comes to working with people? And what advice would you give to somebody who can't see past the gray right now? Mm, I think there is a um, interesting psychological phenomenon that ha happens that is not always talked about. So I'm glad you asked the question. So we want to remember that thoughts and feelings are very intertwined. And we usually don't experience thoughts or stories. We take them as a reality because if they're very subtle, so we can feel our feelings, but our thoughts, it's kind of like, oh, it's me. 
but we want to remember the thoughts are also passing and there's kind of like the brain um, reaction in trying to give meaning to the feelings. And many times it helps. I'll give you an example. So if I see uh, a tiger, I haven't seen one, but let's say I see a tiger. It does help if my brain all of a sudden appraises this. It's the, the psychological term is called appraisal. And it says, oh, wait a minute, this is a tiger on a computer or on a screen in a movie. It's not a real tiger, right? That story can help my emotions. So this is how God, God is amazing how he created our brain. He created the thoughts and the stories and the meaning we give in order to calm ourselves. But sometimes we have conditioned stories and meaning, and those are usually in the subconscious. So we get an emotion and all of a sudden we start thinking, I did something wrong. Maybe it's the devil. Maybe I am sinful. Maybe I don't have enough faith. We start doubting, self-criticism. So we start spiraling. So the thoughts, instead of helping the feelings, they actually make more feelings more intense. And they're like, oh my goodness, what's going on? So it, it's going to keep in a, in, a, in a vicious circle in a certain way. So it's really important with the emotions to also pause and realize, wait a minute, I also have some unhelpful thoughts right now and kind of unhook from thoughts because I don't know, you might have, you, I'm sure you've heard of this and as a listener, you might have heard of this or not. God created us in an amazing way. We have what's called habituation. Any sensation in our body will not last long. That's why addictions are so powerful because people seek sensation, positive mm -hmm. sensations, but they don't last long because they habituate. So people escalate when they have addictions. But let's say there's a negative, uncomfortable emotion and feeling, if it will also pass away, if we can separate the thoughts and the stories from emotion. This is where cognitive psychology is so helpful because you really examine the thoughts. Wait a minute. This is black and white thinking. This is not really true here. So kind of helping disentangling the thoughts. So once the thoughts are put on pause, so to speak, and just stay with the emotion, it's helpful to imagine almost like um, the side of an ocean and just seeing the waves and we're planted really deeply in Christ and with roots almost and just sensing the emotion they're going to pass and go. Um, of course, it's good if, if there is a actually depression, like a major depressive disorder or some other mental disorder to do that with a trusted therapist. I don't recommend. It's hard to do, especially when someone is in the middle of it. But if it's something going through our lives and we all just have those moments throughout the day, it's good to remember, okay, wait a minute, thoughts, that's the hidden powerhouse. Hmm. And I unhook from my thoughts for a minute because the emotion will pass. Hmm. All it does. <laughs> so it's part of that unhooking, identifying what those thoughts actually are and finding out what's going on or it sounds well, like if we, do, if we do that, we're going to get into more thoughts. Yeah, more <laughs> feelings. <laughs> more feelings. This is where I think uh, mindfulness is giving us a gift mm. to Christianity. And many mystics, mystic Christians actually are very aware of this contemplative practices is we just unhook meaning we suspend thinking. Mm. 
we just observe thinking stories like clouds in the sky and it just focus on the blue in between the sky if that makes any sense mm -hmm. so by trying to understand what's the cause of this what's the story we're pulled back into the story we're pulled back into this i call it a very unhelpful tango between emotions and thoughts um, tango can be beautiful but sometimes can get really intense and out of control so that's the kind of we want to separate the thoughts from emotion if that makes sense yeah so mindfulness is teaching this idea of getting back to oh observing the thoughts oh here's another thought oh now i'm really self-critical how interesting oh now i'm really doubting whoa now i have this catastrophizing thought how interesting and just coming back to the seat of consciousness where christ is observing and witnessing in a loving way Hmm. I heard someone recently, she was sharing with me a, a sermon that she had heard where the pastor had said, anxiety, because you know, the Bible says, do not fear quite a few times. Uh, in fact, 365, right? <laughs> yeah. Do As. not be anxious. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 used to be my life verse. I don't know, probably still is. But do not be anxious about anything with everything in prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Amen. But my, but my friend, she she said something that I thought was really interesting, and I I've been pondering it since, and I I think there's a lot of truth to it. But I was sharing it with my son, who also uh, has some of the same propensities that I do uh, to worry, and um, it was uh, you know when we choose to worry, we choose to worship uh, ourselves instead of worshiping God, and I thought, is that is that true? Are we worshiping? And, and she may have said it a little differently than that, but is it that we're, we think, and maybe I'm, I'm misrepresenting what she said, because it was something like that, but it was this idea of we're thinking of the future without God in it. And I'm just, um, I'm curious what you think about that, because I, when I think of anxiety, it's usually because my thoughts have run ahead. They run ahead to something else. <laughs> Right, right. There's a story. And I it's possible. But here's where I want us to be cautious is sometimes we're trying to deal with unwanted thoughts or emotions by realizing, oh, this is a sin. Maybe I'm prideful. Maybe I'm mm -hmm. this or that, which not surprisingly can bring more shame inside. It can help us in the moment and it can suppress it. But it's like, keeping a beach ball underwater and just putting more shame on it, it, it can help on the, it can give fuel for a little bit to it. But I wanted to, to name that it's the easiest way. This is condition. In other words, this is conditioned our tendency to catastrophize, let's say, or worry. Sure. I could say my conscious mind is realizing, sure, I'm not, it's without God. But then it's going to ask, well, what do I do now? I don't want this. And I do it, but I don't want this, right? So the key here is to realize that the most powerful lever of control in our inner, inner world is actually focus. Hmm. And what we put our attention on. Because when we're caught up into the thoughts, into the feelings, it just gets big. It looks like a dragon, you know, when it's actually probably a kitty cat, you know, but it looks really big. But if we realize, oh, wait a second, 
my attention is nurturing a particular train of thought right now or a train of feeling. And I want to share this, that this, our brain is like that. And, and you might experience this and uh, as a listener, right? If I'm going to have gratitude feelings right now, more memories of gratitude are going to pop up. But if I'm going to have a sad memory, all of a sudden something triggers me, more sad memories are going to come or more worries are going to come. This is what is called. I want to get too technical, but the reason I'm sharing is it's so relieving to know that this is how our brain works. Our brain has a state dependent memory. Whatever we think about is going to pop more memories mm. in the same area. This is what happens when people are depressed, right? That's why the gray glasses. So, but the biggest, as I mentioned, the lever of control is to realize I can just shift my focus and awareness. So right now, and this is many times, many therapists and many techniques do, you know, you just get back to the reality. What are the five senses right now? What are the colors that you are seeing? What's a good smell? You know, it just shifts quickly the focus that is pulled so much in one direction and gets grounded back in the reality. This is why gratitude journaling works because when it shifts this focus. So instead of fighting and going to all the stories and finding reasons and getting into more stories, we come back to the center through this quick shift in focus and alertness, which is can be so helpful. Mm -hmm. So is it, can we give it meaning to it? Absolutely. And if it's working for you, listen, keep doing it. <laughs> but if, if not, if at some point it loses its juice, so to speak, and you're like, well, what do I do now? Then always think about what's at my core? Where am I focusing on? And I'll give an example. So let's say I have right now anxiety. Encourage you find, and this is Gay Hendricks who wrote the book, The Genius Zone. If you haven't read that book, it's really cool. He's a psychologist. He said, is there a part of your body that is not anxious right now? Maybe it's the pinky or the tip of your nose. Just uncover, and many times people say, oh yeah, yeah, my tip of my nose is not anxious right now. And just quickly just focus on that. We just shift and we stop nurturing. This is in the um, in the short run. Or we can do that with music, right? If you put a playlist that is really uplifting, it's going to shift. Or you stop praying or listening to a worship or a sermon, right? It just shifts the awareness in the short run. It really is helpful. Obviously, there's more to do this with work and, and counseling and therapy or coaching. But in the moment... It's really helpful. Hmm. Well, I love that. It reminds me of something I watched a long time ago with Tony Robbins, you know, the self-help guru guy. I remember he said, uh, and I thought, man, it's brilliant and true. What we focus on grows, you know, whatever it is, it, it, man, it gets larger and larger. Um, and man, and the gratitude part, so helpful. But I want to go back to something that you've touched on a couple times and I hope that this isn't a difference in Orthodox Christianity from evangelical. It might be. Um, but, you know, the Bible's pretty clear that we are, in, we are sinners in need of grace. Um, you know, and uh, I think of where it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
And so how, how do you encourage a Christian who does feel like, oh, you know, this is because I'm a sinner, uh, that I'm stuck here? Um, because I think that that's a very common, I mean, I've struggled with my mental health, you know, in different times of my life. And it, you do get stuck in that, uh, not just the gray glasses, but also this idea of, oh, I'm, I'm wretched, you know, and, and instead of focusing on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, you know, and focusing on his radiance, like what you were saying, focus on the other thing, but, um, it's easy to focus on, um, the lack instead of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So how, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I have a, a couple of points here. One is I would be careful in however we call us as an identity, because if I'm going to call myself a sinner, guess what? My subconscious is going to think, well, I'm a sinner. So what does it matter? As opposed to I sin. And this happens a lot with in parenting as well. I've seen that in mental health. I am depressed versus I feel depression. There's a difference, right? And I don't encourage us to call us at an identity level something that is temporary, like a feeling or, okay, sinned. I, ha- I sinned. It's a verb. It's an action. It's not my identity. I am my identity is in Christ. Or if you don't believe, you know, um, there is a sense of there is a true self, right? There is something at the core that a higher consciousness, however you want to call it, that you can lean into. So that is really important. And I'm going to tell you the power of identity in, in shifting. I'm going to give you a story. But theologically, I don't, I think... The best definition of sin that I've heard, and it's in the Eastern tradition, and you know, other theologians might disagree with that, but and you know, Christ encouraged us not to get into genealogies and, and lots of debates and whatever, but I found that most helpful. Like most beliefs, we want to really think about it. Is this a helpful belief or not? And this definition of sin, I found it very, very helpful. So that we're missing the mark. The marketing Christ. So when we sin, it's not like good and bad. It's more, am I on path to God or am I off the path? And I missing the mark, like an ice skater, right? An ice skater, we see them doing beautiful twists and turtles, but they have fallen down. They missed the mark so many times. So mistakes and all they were doing are ways that we learn that God is a God of order and lots of lots of laws in the that he has and we're okay we missed the mark we really are we're, we're uh, not aware of some laws God's laws and because of that there are consequences but as I'm learning about them I can pull myself and go back on the path so I found it helpful and to really delineate between identity and I'll give you an example I used to smoke in my early years and in Romania, everyone was, not everyone, but a lot of people were smoking. So I try to stop smoking thinking I'm going to be my mom and I don't want to smoke. I've tried to stop smoking maybe 30 times. And what was I doing? I would stop smoking and start counting. Okay. One day, non-smoker, two days, non-smokers, three days. Anyway, 
I went into, and I wasn't able to, as I tried so many times until I was like on my knees, God, okay, I cannot stop smoking here, but you please help me. Like I was done. I, I just couldn't, right? I was missing the mark. And I didn't know too much about theology back then, but I was clear to me, like, I don't know, can I do this? And within a day or two, I had this insight, wait a minute, I'm calling myself a smoker as an identity level, and I'm counting one day of non-smoking, two days of non-smoking. But what's my identity? I want to be a non-smoker. Well, guess what? Non-smokers, they don't count. How many days are non-smokers? <laughs> so it was like that. So on an identity level, I realized in Christ, I am a non-smoker. All right, I look back and I see all the mistakes I've done. But when I identify with my new creation, it it's really helpful. So this is the power of identity that I've seen. And of course, I don't want to go into, you know, um, AA, Alcoholic Anonymous, they use the, this in a different way, you know, and it's a helpful methodology. I'm not going to get and dispute that. All I'm saying, if you're thinking about this, that think of identity in Christ and the sin, missing the mark. And I made a mistake in psychology. This is called growth mindset, right? I made a mistake. Okay get back on track mm -hmm. and I can get up by myself or I can need help. I might need medications. I might need a big team. It doesn't matter. I'm getting back on track. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to have to look into this more after we talk because, um, you know, I know, I mean, the Bible talks about we are sinners. We need a savior, right? Um, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus came to seek and save that was that which was lost. Um, so if you don't know Jesus, you know, like <laughs> you, you need him. Um, but I, I think it's interesting because the Bible also talks about, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Uh, isn't that second Corinthians four seventeen something like that. Um, and so it's interesting how often we can live in that old identity of, uh, oh, I'm, I'm missing the mark, uh, you know, again and again, which we are, we all miss it. But in, in Christ, uh, it's his, it's what he's done for us, um, his redemption, his restoration that covers us. I heard a sermon, this is getting off topic a little bit, but it, it was good uh, a few years ago. And he was talking about at the end of time, when we stand before a holy God, uh, will he accept us on his grace or on his justice? And he said, it's on his justice. Because if you think about it, he goes, so many of us, we, we come to God begging over and over to him, you know, like, oh, forgive me, forgive me. You know, I'm such a sinner. I'm so messed up, blah, 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 blah. And uh, he said, but imagine, he gave this analogy, and I just thought it was wonderful. He gave an analogy of uh, going to a coffee shop. I've got my coffee here, so I'm thinking about it. And, uh, you know, you go to the coffee shop, and you don't have any money. And you say, hey, uh, to the barista, could you give me, could you give me some some coffee. I'm sorry, I don't have any money right now. And the barista says, I shouldn't do that. And oh, please, you're begging the barista. And the barista says, okay, I'll give you, I'll give you a cup of coffee. Don't come back here, you know, my, I'll get fired. And then you come back a little bit later, you know, a few days later, and you're like, oh, can I get a cup of coffee? And she goes, uh, that was a one-time thing. I did not mean to give that to you. <laughs> I can't give it to you again. And you're just begging, you know. And she tells you, do not come back here. Fine, I'll give this to you after you beg and plead. 
And the pastor's point was so often we come to God like that, like this idea of like, oh, I've screwed up again and I'm empty. I need to be, you know, filled up and I'm going to beg for this. Um, When in reality, it's more like, uh, you know, before you come back to get that cup of coffee, right? Somebody comes in and they pay the price for you completely and fully and say, hey, you know, that person begging for the coffee, that's a friend of mine. And uh, I love them. And I'm going to pay this in full uh, for this coffee and all coffees to come. And so mm-hmm. when you come back for that cup of coffee, the barista says, what would you like? It, it, it's yours. It's already been paid for. And it's just that she does that. It's not just based on the gra- It's the grace of the person who came and paid the price. But she has an obligation to give it to you because it's been paid for. And God has paid the price for us, you know. And I just think, well, you know, that is empowering. It's that balance of, yeah, we miss the mark. But in Christ, we are new creations. You know, we have that the right to say, God, I need a refill. <laughs> I need help. Right. Yeah. And we are nothing without God. I mean, even as humility goes, I mean, we're just, what, a speck in the universe? Think about the the huge earth and the huge solar system and our galaxy. And then there are how many billions, trillions of galaxies. And then whoever, I mean, it's the universe is so huge and we're this speck. Mm-hmm. And nonetheless, God loves us. Mm-hmm. I had someone on this podcast one time uh, at the end of our, our talk. He was saying that one day he can't wait. One of the things he's looking forward to the most about being in glory is knowing who he truly is. Because mm. here on earth, uh, it's always veiled in some way. Um, yeah. Which, yeah. Which I thought was really, really insightful and true. I have a couple final questions for you here. Um, Ioana, have you ever had personal struggles with your mental health and how did you overcome them? Mm, that's a great question. I... I say this in a way to that I hope it's encouraging. I did not experience myself mental health struggles in terms of like a psychiatric diagnosis, which sometimes pa- patients and my clients ask me, well, did you ever experience depression or have you ever experienced, how can you help me if you haven't been to that level? But what I did experience is the depth of emotions, the depth of the experiences, the depth of the doubt, or the depth of sadness, or the depth of grief, or the depth of, I don't know, I want to live on this earth again. Um, did it reach a level of intensity that it it fulfill like a whatever di- DSM-5 diagnosis? No, but I think that these experiences are natural for all of us we get all get them in bites in our life and yes i did have my share um, on that regard and that brings me a lot of appreciation for people who are actually reaching that point where the biology is engaged so to speak and the bodies the neurotransmitters are off um, because i know it's not easy i know how not easy at all What are some ways that you have seen your clients or people that you care about or yourself overcome those dark nights of the soul, so to speak? Mm. Having someone that you trust. So let's say if someone has clinical depression or, or psychiatric diagnosis to really, really find a good mental health provider 
that you truly, truly trust. This is so essential. So if you're you're working with someone, but it's not quite fitting, keep searching. There are a lot of people out there because it has to, the healing starts in a healing relationship, a trusting healing relationship. If that does, is it's a bit shaky, it's not so helpful. So find someone that you could really help that's also skillful and they can walk the journey. For me, were I would say it was my faith and also the relationships that I had. Like even in my dark moments, I knew that my family loves me. So I had some family members that I knew I I could call. I knew they would be devastated if when I was um, having in my teenage years some thoughts about suicide. I knew they would be devastated and that kind of stopped me on my tracks. But having a trusted relationship. And interestingly, when I was teaching in high school, our headmaster was brilliant of saying, all, I mean, he was talking about kids and teenagers and whatnot. All they need is one trusting adult that just loves them and they are, this is their hope and having that one at least one person so i would say if you haven't find that person keep searching because it's there but if you have it in your circle really nurture that relationship because it's important it's mm, good i remember i can't it was a ted talk it might have been a yale study where the guy was talking about outcomes for a group of uh, yale students it was a bunch of young men and uh, the relationships were, do you know what I'm talking about? It was, if they wanted a successful end game for their life, basically the, the biggest contributing factor in all of that was the health of their relationships. And mm-hmm. uh, I just thought, wow, it's pretty, pretty powerful stuff. Uh, the people that we put into our sphere of influence, you know, and we right. allow them to be there. And it could be a mentor, could be a teacher. And sometimes like one of my mentors was a teacher. We weren't like really even close necessarily talking, but that image of that kind human being, you know, mm-hmm. inside was very, very helpful. So, um, and I would say they did studies with different therapeutical modalities across the board what's most important is the relationship in a, in a therapeutic relationship if that's trustworthy right there the methodology is helpful but it doesn't it, what's most important is that journey with someone that can be there with you non-judgmental and really get you and so you can can walk with you that way mm-hmm. um do you have any specific encouragement for Nora? I know she'll be listening to this episode later. Is there anything you wanted to share? I know you um, had the uh, you took the time to listen to her story, so I'm just wondering if there was anything specific you'd like to leave here for her. Uh, it was just so wonderful to hear from uh, from you, Nora. Yeah, it was just so touching. What a beautiful soul, and um, I mean, there's so much. In today, even talking that I shared with you in mind, but this idea of holding on your identity in Christ and remembering that the different experiences don't necessarily define who you are. They're not, you know, sometimes it's just a symptom talking. And that is good to know. It's not about whose causes is or not. It's just a wave that is passing through that it's always passing. And to have that work on having a great team 
sound like you have a great friend in you, Janelle, and continue to have, you know, meaningful connections and relationships. And um, do you have other thoughts, Janelle, after our conversation? <laughs> no, I think. For her? <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll probably talk to her before be, between now and then. But Nora, I just uh, love you, so thank you for for sharing what you have and uh, for opening the door to these kind of conversations. Because uh, I get to speak to people like you, Yuana, and I. We always ask the final, the same final question, and it's it's this: uh, the Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love all things that can be found in relationship with Jesus Christ. Which of those things stands out to you the most in your life right now and why? Restoration, eternity, authenticity, or love? Hmm. Of course, they're all important. I think the word that stand out for me was eternity. And just the remembrance, we are born and meant for eternity. Mm -hmm. This is what Christ came to earth to, to remind us. So... Mm -hmm. We're preparing yeah. for eternity and the kingdom of heaven is now. So yeah, that has been on my mind a lot lately. Mm. Well, Dr. Ioana Popa, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. I really appreciate this conversation. You've given me a lot to think about. I need to go back and re-listen to this. and um, I'm sure I'm going to have even more questions. So maybe in the future, we'll have to have you on again at some point. Um, oh, I would love that. Yes. That would be wonderful. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the Christian faith. We hope to feature a different story each month and then invite Christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus, I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with Him. Until next time.